0: Live from our nation's capital, and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: Lots to get through on a busy, busy, busy week in Washington. And we've got an all-star panel. Guy Snodgrass rejoins us. He's going to give us the take on what's going on at the Pentagon. And resurgent virus thrusts the states back into life or death decisions. The second wave. The second wave hits as America's stay-at-home seafood binge now faces a virus threat. Stocks rebound as dip buying offsets virus concerns, and U.S. cases rise 1%. All right, so COVID's back in the headlines. Uh, a lot of volatility up on the street. Uh, even more volatility injected into the 2020 presidential race. This is President Trump prepares to hit the campaign trail, and former Vice President Joe Biden releases some new campaign ads. We're going to dive into all of this. Congressman John Garrett is going to join us, a Democrat from California. I definitely, definitely want his take on 2020, especially on whether or not Biden needs to get out there more. Uh, I'm fascinated by what he's going to have to say on that. So a lot to get through, a busy, busy day. We made it through another week, Washington. We made it through another week. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. It is such a beautiful day here in the nation's capital as we continue to move through this pandemic now with new concerns of a second wave, resurging of COVID-19, and uh, the AP, the Associated Press, is reporting an exclusive, uh, and I apologize, they are reporting uh, an exclusive regarding uh, George Floyd's death, which has spurred the question, what is black life worth? It is a fascinating uh, report, a special report that they've done in terms of the African-American community in our country, and we're going to get into all of that coming up in the program, but we're going to begin tonight with the virus uh, and with my colleague Justin Sink Justin is of course a Bloomberg White House reporter. Justin, there appears to be a resurgence of this virus. What is the administration saying as we head into this weekend?
5: Yeah, well, I think uh, you know president trump and, and the administration is generally trying to downplay the the signals that we see that that the virus is uh reemerging. The president was speaking yesterday in Texas, uh, talked a bit about how levels weren't the the overall percentage that we're seeing of people testing positive isn't uh, getting into frightening territory. They continue to say that uh, states should drive ahead with reopening. But we are seeing state and local officials start to express more and more alarm. And so you know, this weekend was a big weekend for the president. He went to Texas. Now he's in Bedminster for a few days. He's going to go to the uh, graduation ceremonies at West Point. He's clearly trying to signal uh, that he wants people to get back and and start reopening things. And and that's in no small part because revitalizing the economy before the election is going to be crucial for his electoral chances. But we saw with the sort of swoon on on Wall Street yesterday that uh, investors are a little more skittish. and, And what we heard out of Fed Chairman Powell and, and some other health and economic experts is that, that this recovery might be a little bit longer than people are uh, originally expecting.
1: Yeah, and coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Thaddeus McCotter, who is uh, a Republican and uh, a former congressman from Michigan's 11th congressional district, about just how important that economy is. And did you see this? Justin Sink, Bloomberg White House reporter, that Larry Kudlow said a second wave has not appeared Meanwhile, the United States will provide 96 million masks to train and plane passengers. They're going to be giving 96 million masks uh, to to anybody who's going on the Acela Corridor or flying around the country. Um, But we've only just begun this. And even as the U.S. consumer sentiment is continuing to rise, the World Health Organization is warning that the coronavirus outbreak is just starting and will wreak more havoc, adding uh, to uncertainty. Uh, And, you know, Justin, I'm just curious just how crucial it's going to be for the president to get back on the campaign trail, even as health experts are warning that we still are at risk for a second wave.
5: Yeah, so uh, we've heard from from the president and his campaign that he expects to restart rallies soon, including a week from tonight. Uh, He'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for his first rally since the coronavirus really Kicked off. He's got others planned for states, including Florida and Arizona, that have been a little more aggressive about opening back up. And I think that's evidence that the president is really trying to recapture uh, some of the momentum that he felt like he had before this this crisis hit. Uh, you know, public opinion polling, electoral polling, shows that that Vice, former Vice President Biden is really starting to pull ahead. I know that's caused some consternation both within the West Wing and, and at Trump's campaign offices in and Roslyn. And, uh and because of that i think you see the white house trying to turn back to a formula that they think works so part of that is getting the president out in front of you know his base large enthusiastic crowds getting big local tv coverage for when he shows up on the campaign trail and and the other part is trying to lead by example in terms of convincing people that it's okay to go back but you know, as you said, there's going to be this tension of a lot of people remain and rightfully so extremely concerned about um, how coronavirus is going to impact their ability to travel, to uh, go into work, to uh, go to the grocery store in, in a way that they used to, where kind of commerce was seamless and, and it wasn't something that you were thinking about every day. And And truthfully, until we have a vaccine or until... There's a treatment for coronavirus that, that really brings down its fatality rates. I'm, I'm not sure how effective the administration's messaging is going to be. That's going to be a, a, something that we're watching really closely over the next few months.
1: Well, One of the questions that I think is still confusing Americans is when, when the pandemic started, hospitals were not prepared in terms of all of the equipment and ventilators and masks that they needed in order to keep up with the pace of infections. A question that I have for the for health experts is whether or not hospitals are now more prepared than they were than three months ago at the start of this outbreak. Has the administration been talking about that? Uh, because that would seemingly factor into this and the availability of testing uh, as well, free testing.
5: Yeah, so the administration says all those things are, are better. We've had 20 mil- more than 20 million Corona tests uh, taken so far and and they are becoming more widespread and more available even for folks that don't have symptoms or aren't first responders uh, hospitals feel like they've got better bed capacity ventilators are no longer sort of a crisis point and part of the sort of gradual reopening plans the governors have had to submit to the federal government is to ensure uh, that they have the hospital space to deal with you know if there's a a big spike but the other side of that of course is that we haven't seen sort of the virus be extinguished in a way that communal community spread is not happening anymore. So that that's kind of a big turning point. And the other is, I mean, at the end of the day, 113,000 Americans have already died from this. You know, that wasn't because hospitals were overwhelmed. It's because this is a very vicious virus that, that uh, can really wreak havoc on people. Everybody who needed a ventilator got one, but that still left tens of thousands of Americans uh, in a position where they were deathly ill. And so, you know, for a lot of Americans, the question isn't going to be, you know, is there a bed available at my hospital? It's do I want to go outside? Do I want to spend money when the possible repercussion is catching an illness that, that has proved, you know, fatal?
1: Fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. All right. Justin Sink, he is Bloomberg's White House reporter. Thank you, my friend, for calling in to to check uh, in with us as we head into another weekend. This is many states, Oregon, for example, reporting the highest number of new COVID-19 cases since the pandemic began. And the governor there saying that that is a cause for concern. So a lot of uh, different information coming out from elected officials all over the country as we head into this weekend. That's Justin Sink. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we're going to check with congressman john garamendi a democrat from california and guy snodgrass he's going to give us the lay of the land informed policy download the bloomberg sound on podcast on apple itunes of bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app you can also find me on radio.com iheartradio and spotify lots to talk about folks a lot
0: this is Bloomberg sound on with kevin cirilli On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: I think we're going to get some sports back. Uh, DC United's been tweeting out all of these pictures of the players uh, at Audi Field. I think they're practicing again. I don't know. I don't know what the... I don't know if we're going to be allowed to go to the games. Will we not be allowed to go to the games? All the... Everything keeps shifting. You know what I mean, folks? My name is Kevin Cerule. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Joining us on the telephone line is a good friend of the program. His name is Guy Snodgrass. What's up, Guy?
2: Hey, Kev. Happy Friday. How you doing?
1: You know, we made it. We made it. And Guy, of course, is uh, the, the um, where's the title? There it is. CEO of Defense Analytics. He's the former Director of Communications and Chief Speechwriter to Secretary of Defense James Mattis. He's also the author of the book, Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. But, Guy, you also have a new book coming out that I do, I know about. Am I allowed to talk about it? Sorry, we're on Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Tell us the name of the book. I'm excited to read this one. What's it called?
2: Yeah, it's called Top Guns, Top Ten, Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit. And basically, it's uh, a look back for me. uh, As you've talked about previously, I spent 20 years as an F-8, uh, excuse me, f 18 fighter pilot, served overseas, served in combat. So, one of those tours of duty was as a instructor at Top Gun, the actual fighter weapons school. And throughout the remainder of my career, you know, there were just these principles, these lessons that I had picked up that made all the difference in my life And to the command or the squadron I had commanded. And so I basically put those into a small book, and I'm looking forward to having that out in September. You
1: know, it reminds me of one of my all-time favorite books that I've always talked about on this show called Make Your Bed. And when you told me yes. when you were writing this back when I first met you, a couple of months ago, that was immediately what, what jumped out in my mind. And so, honestly, I, I'm very excited uh, to read this book. It comes out in the fall?
2: That's right. It comes out September 15th.
1: Okay, cool. And we'll, we'll obviously have you back on to talk about it. Okay, one thing that's on your radar that our producer, Christine Baratta told me was this NBC News article, The Trump Administration to Ban Entry of International Criminal Court Investigators. This is wonky. So tell us what this means and why they're doing it.
2: Sure. So, you know, the International Criminal Court, a lot of times they'll investigate uh, war crimes would be a good example. And, you know, the United States has never really recognized their authority, uh, certainly not their authority over U.S. service members or uh, anybody within the country. And so specifically this has come to a head during the last week because the ICC had started an investigation into potential what they're calling war crimes by U.S. service members in the conflict in Afghanistan. And so once this is longstanding U.S. policy, we're not going to recognize that body. But more importantly, the Trump administration had said, we're not going to support you. We're going to ban you from entering the country to conduct your investigation. So it ramped up pretty quick with the current administration.
1: And so why is this this so important? Truthfully, because it's, this is something that I think, in the it's one of those examples of so much news is happening, so much important news. But this is something that that folks should pay attention to. Explain to us why this matters.
2: You know, I think it's it goes along the lines of just precedent. When you set precedent, it's the same reason the United States has been adamant over the last three to four years about preserving freedom of navigation, for example, in the South China Sea. This has been something that's been on your radar numerous times on your program, where Mm -hmm. China has these expansionist claims into the South China Sea. They're building these artificial islands in that same location. The United States is saying, no, we can't allow you to set that precedent and slowly creep your borders further south towards Philippines or to the west towards Vietnam. So the same thing here with the ICC. The United States has never really recognized this body's Ability to investigate U.S. service members. And if you were to suddenly uh, admit them into the country or to give them this kind of precedence where they can actually start investigating U.S. service members, well, the U.S. is a globally distributed country. We're, we have forces all over the world. And so you could open the door where suddenly service members who are, who are doing their absolute very best could be uh, indicted, they could be hauled into court, and it would uh, certainly uh, not be where the United States wants to be from a legal standpoint.
1: All right, meanwhile, I do want to talk about this now. Uh, president Trump spoke with Fox News earlier today uh, in an interview with Fox News's Harris Faulkner. And one of the many, many topics that came up was, was the president responding to the Joint Chief of Staff Chairman, General Mark Milley. Now, of course, everyone, you'll remember, General Milley uh, expressed regret earlier this week for participating in the president's walk to St. John's Episcopal Church, uh, from the White House uh, to to that church, where for the where a photograph was taken of the president uh, holding um, the Bible, and General Milley uh, had had said that he had expressed some regret for participating in that. Meanwhile, the um, he said, "quote As a commissioned uniform officer." It was a mistake that I have learned from, and I sincerely hope we all can learn from it. And he said, Hmm. as many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square Park last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. So the president was asked about this on Fox by Harris. And what he told her was that he's quote unquote fine with it. He said he was fine with it. Um, you know what? You know you've worked with all of these individuals behind closed doors and publicly. Uh, you are a speechwriter uh, for obviously for for Mattis. When you, he, you know, I just I'm curious. Just go go with this. I mean, what's going through your mind? Well, you know, I think this has. I guess
2: rapidly reached a suitable conclusion in my mind, and I think in the mind of many men and women wearing the uniform of our country, as well as scholars. There's a number of scholars who who had waded into this debate about the civilian-military relationship. What should that look like? And just as a thirty, you know, a real quick recap. Uh, when you have a the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in his battle fatigues, roaming the streets of Washington, D.C., during the height of these protests, that was the the primary concern, that it was a very bad optic for the U.S. military to be seen as conducting a domestic policing operation. That is not what the military should be doing, should be involved in. And that caused a pretty swift uproar. So I think this has reached a very good conclusion. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he he realized the importance of that optic and how dangerous it could be for the longstanding trust the American public has given to the military. And he issued this, uh, not even really an apology, he just issued this guidance saying that this is not the way the military should be used. And I think it's great of President Trump that he said he's fine with what General Milley said, because that ha- helped to rapidly diffuse what could be a very tense situation between the Pentagon and the White House.
1: All right, Guy Snodgrass, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'll catch up with you later this weekend. I'm driving back to Delco. I have a long drive tomorrow. I'm going to catch up with my mom this weekend as well. Uh, Congressman John Garamendi is coming up next. Democrat from California. Guy, I'll talk to you later. That's coming up next on Bloomberg 99.1.
0: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Shout out to our remote control, working from home control room, Charlie Vollmer and Nicholas Falco. And uh, Nick tells us in our group Sound On Chat... That the answer to my question, the MLS is doing a World Cup-style tournament in in Orlando at the Orlando Wide World of Sports Complex, and that starts on July 8th. And then there's talks that they're going to have some type of regular season after that. So D.C. United training, training to go to Florida. Florida, battleground state of Florida. And the word is that the Republican National Convention is going to be in Jacksonville. So, Florida, always, Florida's getting everything. They're literally, they're getting sports, they're getting the convention, you know? I mean, Florida, folks. Um, who's on the line now? Congressman John Garamendi, a good friend of the program. Congressman is a, is a Democrat from California. I have not spoken with you in a while. How's your family? How's everybody doing with uh, the situation? And are you ready to get sports back? <laughs>
4: Well, only if it's properly done. We got to really pay attention to the yeah. CDC guidelines. Otherwise, we're going to see this uh, coming right back into our family. So, bottom line is, I'm not recommending my family go down to the University of California <laughs> Memorial Stadium to watch the Golden Bears beat. Do it virtually, <laughs> folks. Stay out of the crowd.
1: Uh, Congressman, um, you just introduced a bill. Uh, that I think is is really, really important for the conversation that we've been having uh, on this program. And it's to to support special districts in future coronavirus relief legislation. It's called the Special Districts Provide a Central Services Act. Can you tell us what it does and why it's important, especially as we're having conversations about the next round of economic stimulus? Exactly. Uh
4: Exactly. ALL OF THE LEGISLATION, INCLUDING THE HEROES LEGISLATION AND THE PREVIOUS FOUR BILLS, ALWAYS SPOKE ABOUT CITIES, COUNTIES, AND STATE GOVERNMENT, Uh, AND THEY'RE CERTAINLY CRITICALLY IMPORTANT, BUT A GOOD PART OF AMERICA COMMUNITIES AND GOVERNMENT ARE WHAT ARE KNOWN AS SPECIAL DISTRICTS, AND THESE ARE WATER DISTRICTS, SANITATION DISTRICTS, FLOOD CONTROL DISTRICTS, uh, RECLAMATION DISTRICTS AND AGRICULTURAL AREAS. Uh, and in some places, for example, the county of Sacramento, not the city, but the rest of the county of Sacramento, which is probably a couple million people, is a special fire district in which the uh, the rest of the cities have all joined together to do a fire district, not a city or a county fire department. And so what we're saying is that these local government entities are absolutely critically important for the functioning of virtually everything that we know that we depend upon but don't know about. So anyway, we're trying to get it included in the HEROES bill that there would be specific money available to them. Uh, in some cases, the governors say, well, just give us the money and we'll give it down to these special districts. And the special districts go, sure you will, after you take the top 25%. <laughs> And leave us with what's ever left unless you get mad at us, in which case we're not going to get the money we need. Anyway, we need a mechanism to get the money to these special districts because they are the unknown foundation or the little recognized foundation for much of what we depend upon, water, sanitation, uh, certain uh, transit districts and the like.
1: So, I mean, it it really is important because for for the – you know, we talk so much on this program about supply chains and economic supply chains, but literally, folks – from a sanitation, like where we get the water, the sewage. I mean, these, they need an immediate, immediate, I don't even want to use the word liquidity, but they need immediate uh, financial assistance. Are you confident, Congressman, that this is going to get solved in whenever the uh, next round uh, of negotiations, likely at the end of July, early August, gets through? Well, first of
4: all, the overarching question is will there be a heroes bill or some yeah. form of it and down and mcconnell said no it's dead on arrival and then he's kind of changed his mind he said well maybe so but a lot less money uh, all of that indicates to me that there's a negotiation potential here and what i want to see in that negotiation is that certainly this the governments the local state uh governments have to have the money otherwise there's going to be serious serious hurt and among those i is another uh, one of the districts in many cases, uh, not so much in California, but around the nation, a special district is a school district. May not be getting money directly from the state government and could therefore be left out of that uh, flow of federal assistance. So it's really important. I think that if a bill is to move, and I'm confident that one will, it will ultimately be included. Uh, What we're finding since we've introduced the bill is that we're getting calls from all over the nation saying, oh, we like that, we like that. How are we going to get it in? And I'm going to say, well, talk to your senator uh, and we'll get it in. Because the action will first be in the Senate, then probably a a conference, either a formal or an informal conference. Uh, uh, I guess the good news is that uh, Pelosi will be uh, leading that conference, and she's certainly aware of California but there are very few special districts in, in San Francisco. In fact, the city of San Francisco is both a city and a county combined. So uh, she may not be as uh, aware and uh, involved as, as I would in my district, where we have probably a, several hundred of these. Across California, there are at least 1,300 special districts that do everything. Mosquito control district, shall we talk about that? And it goes on
1: and on. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's, and I don't think people know about it. Congressman John Garamendi on the line. He's a Democrat from California. Congressman, you know, I, I want to go macro for a second and broad uh, uh, because I think there's a lot of confusion, you know, and, and I don't want to make this political. I don't want to I don't I want to take off the left and the right, you know, polarizing talk for a second. But I, I, I hear this when I'm talking with my friends When I'm talking with my family. There's a lot of confusion You know, I mean, on the one hand, you've got the CDC guidelines. On the next, you have reports of a potential second wave. Then you have the World Health Organization with their report that they've since backed off on of of whether or not asymptomatic carriers are really going to be as uh, transmitting uh, on COVID-19. You know, where I grew up, you know, you can go to the Jersey Shore outside of Philly. You can drive down to the Jersey Shore. The beaches are open, but you can't go to the local hair salon to get your hair cut. And so I I, I just as you're a policymaker, you're in this, you're, you know, talking to to the experts day in and day out. And what I want to wrap my head around is how do you navigate through this confusion to arrive at a decision? Because these decisions are having immediate consequences on families and people being able to pay their bills,
4: you're absolutely correct about the confusion. Uh, We had a conversation two days ago uh, as we were doing a virtual graduation, for three of our grandchildren that are graduating from high school. Um, And our daughter, who is a a middle school art teacher, Mm -hmm. has 240 kids, and she said, I have no idea. She said, I am so nervous, I'm so upset, not just for my health, but for these kids. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to uh, be or stay as healthy as we can? Uh, so yes, you're absolutely right. There is confusion. There is uh, anxiety, fear. Um, you know, eventually, I'm going to be on a plane next week flying back to Washington. And, yeah, I'm confused and I'm scared about you know, sitting in that little metal tube for five hours. Yeah. Is it going to be safe? Well, I hope so. Uh, but the uh, the point here is that here's what's the problem, and I'll try not to be too political about it, but the president is sowing confusion, plain and simple. Um uh, he saw it in his press conferences when he was actually running these uh covid nineteen uh press availabilities every day where he'd get up there and he'd talk for an hour, often contradicting the experts uh, fauci and uh, and 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 you go well, well what what gives here? What are we talking about uh, and that continues to this day, sewing so basically with contradictory comments tweets. Uh, from the president. And, and frankly, a good deal of the population listens to the president and takes him as gospel. Um, um, that's only one part of the problem. The yeah. other part has to do with the, with the absence of leadership at the national level. I will tell you that there is solid information available. I had a long conversation this morning uh, with the U.S. military, the, uh, the the, the, the admirals and generals are the responsible for the for the health of the force, and they have, through the um, studies and the experience of COVID nineteen in the military, developed very clear guidelines.
1: And right, you're and right. You're act- absolutely right. And and Congressman, unfortunately, I have to leave it there because we're up against a hard break. But you're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of the military, they've been really out front on this. Uh, and 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 I'm very appreciative appreciative of you coming on more next on Bloomberg
0: 99.1 This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2
1: My name is Kevin Cerilli I'm the chief Washington uh, correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. It's going to be a nice weekend, folks, in the 80s, according to uh, the weather reports, the meteorologists. It's going to be like 80 degrees on Saturday, high 70s on Sunday. Part, partly uh, partly cloudy. Uh, so, you know, it'll be good. I, I'm going to Milano <laughs> for lunch tomorrow. I haven't been there. Really, since all of this started, so it'll be good to see Franco. All right, Thaddeus McCotter's on the line. He's the former U.S. congressman from uh, Michigan's 11th congressional district. He was in office from 2003 to 2012. He was on the uh, House Financial Services Committee and the subcommittees on financial institutions and consumer credit. He was on capital markets, insurance, and government-sponsored entities, the GSEs. Remember them, the GSEs, and on international monetary policy and trade—everything we talk about daily. So he's uh, an expert on all of that, especially in offering the conservative perspective. Thanks for coming on, McCotter. How are you? How you been holding up throughout all of this? Well, as you know, thanks
3: for having me on. Well, as you know, Michigan's been very hard hit by yeah. COVID.
1: Did we lose him? Is he still there? Hello. Okay. Hello. Thaddeus McCotter. It looks like we're having a little bit of uh, trouble hearing from him, so hopefully our control room can uh, can sort that out. Uh, Thaddeus McCotter, he's a former U.S. congressman from Michigan's 11th congressional district. Uh, control room, just, he's there. Are you there? Could we have a better connection? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? Oh, there. Yeah, perfect. You're coming in loud and clear. All right, so tell us about Michigan. You're right. It's been absolutely hard hit as a result of this. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, it's been very hard hit, especially our senior population. And, as you know, as we've seen reports, Michigan went into lockdown, and it's been a pretty um, draconian one in many ways. And it's obviously had an effect on the economy, and we've seen that in some of the numbers that have put up. Uh, Recently, we started to come out of it. But in the end, we're looking at about 22% unemployment, according to the May figures, we're probably second-highest unemployment in the country. And it's going to take a lot of work. And a lot of courage to come out of this, but I think we will.
1: You know, do you think that there's going to be another round of economic stimulus end of July, early August? Congressman Garamendi was just on before you, and he said he's still unsure. It looks like Leader McConnell in the Senate is, is signaling, yeah, he would get on board with it, maybe begrudgingly, but he'd get on board with it. Uh, but do you think Michigan needs some more some more economic stimulus?
3: well it wouldn 't hurt, especially because of the of what we don 't know, and the key factor is going to be how are individual people going to measure their safety in this pandemic? Are they going to come out? are they going to start buying, or are they going to stay inside and come out more gradually? What is that's going to be the key, how individuals do this. And I think it would probably be prudent at least to start planning, making concrete steps towards having another round of economic relief for unemployed workers, especially for states like Michigan, that have always been uh we get quicker, sicker, and we get better later. So right. it certainly would be something we'd be looking forward to. It'd probably be very helpful.
1: You know, as you look at the, the president's public comments uh, with the governor there and and Michigan just such a crucial battleground state in 2020 you know it 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 really has been remarkable just to see how the democratic governor there Gretchen Whitmer has been uh, you know navigating this with president trump you're on the ground there uh, and you're a, a republican but what how has that played in in Michigan the battleground state uh between president trump and governor whitmer
3: well, to a certain extent, it's more heat than light. It's more light than heat, actually. <laughs> I mean, probably me, more heat than light. They tend to fight. They tend to fight, but things still wind up getting done. So despite it all, I mean, when she eventually declared us emergency, the president agreed. When you see the stimulus come through, even though we've had difficulty with our uh, unemployment system, for individuals. We've also had roughly three hundred and forty thousand people filing false claims that they've had to sort through. But in the end, they scream at each other, but things keep getting done. Now it's a little different when you were dealing with Newsom and Cuomo earlier and they were getting along with the president, but I didn't see much difference between how they their response from the federal government and ours was. In the end, it's really irrelevant that they fight with each other as long as what happens is in the best interest of the people of Michigan and the country. And so far it has been. And so the cat calling and all that may be unfortunate on both sides, but in the end, it's what have you done for us and both of them seem to be doing their best to let their own personal differences get out of the way and let good things happen to people in Michigan.
1: That is McCotter's on the line. He's a former US Congressman for Michigan's 11th congressional district. He was you know, I don't want to put I don't want to define your political ideology, but you were seen as more of a, a centrist Republican, as someone who was a member of the Republican Study Committee. So I hear your tone. I hear in your tone and I'm wondering Michigan being such an important battleground state the I mean, polls have Biden leading uh, uh, up a little bit uh, uh, ahead of Trump. How can, from your perspective, does Trump turn it around ahead of November? Uh, and do you think that, that the recent past couple of weeks, whether it's George Floyd, whether it's the pandemic, do you think that that will be on the minds of voters come November? In Michigan well, specifically. I, yeah,
3: well, I think what's going to be on most people's mind is the economy, is yeah. how we can get out of this and who's best equipped to get us out of this, obviously, as a Republican. I think the past performance of President Trump prior to the lockdowns and the pandemic certainly showed the ability to grow this economy at a great rate. I think it's going to be a very difficult argument for Mr. Biden. But at the present time, when you look at the polls that are out there, it remains a referendum election on President Bush because the race has yet to really manifest itself in voters' minds. And- they're looking at how they feel today and, no matter who was president. If George Washington was president during the time of a, during a pandemic, a lockdown, and then you had the the situation with the protests for Black Lives Matters, I don't think any president would have particularly positive numbers at the present time. But once we get to the election, people start to realize there is a choice and there is a stark differentiation that you can make between the two candidates. That's when people will start focusing on it, making up their minds. And I trust the American people will do what is best for the country. And on my part, I hope they vote for president.
1: Trump. I want to ask you another question um, in the two minutes that we have left. I saw you on Fox a couple of weeks ago, and um, you made some comments about China, uh, and you and. and, and this to me, I mean, the polls suggest this is a bipartisan uh, issue where it's seven and 10 Democrats, according to morning consult, eight and 10 Republicans have significant questions about the, the, the transparency or lack thereof coming from the Communist Party of China uh, in terms of their handling of COVID-19. Tell me the areas of bipartisanship in terms of policy that the United States can pressure to get more answers coming from Beijing so that this would never happen again.
3: Well, I think this has been a long time coming, the building of a consensus uh, that communist China is a a strategic threat and rival model of governance to the United States in the 21st century. Ironically, this is one of the few things that you could actually count on early on that President Trump and Speaker Pelosi would agree on. Speaker Pelosi has certainly been rather hawkish on communist China, understanding the brutal nature of that regime. So I think that once we continue to go forward and get past some of this, certainly past the election, I think whoever's president, again, I hope it's President Trump. I think you will see the continuation of the bipartisan consensus that communist China is not our friend, does not hope uh, to have particularly good relations with us, continues their predatory trade practices, their intellectual property theft, and their devaluation of currency and others, and people are tired of it, you know, continue to see communist China's uh, persecution of the Uyghurs, persecution of the Tibetans, you're going to continue to see that, and the American people are going to continue to form an even larger consensus uh, that communist china is something we must decouple ourselves from with especially our supply chain because it is a very fragile one when you deal with a regime like that and we've already seen that with the the pandemic and their failure to admit certainly to admit it forthrightly and quickly uh what happened with the wuhan virus so the rest of the world could react and prepare itself
1: all right Thaddeus mccotter former u.s congressman from michigan's 11th congressional district first time on the program appreciate you calling in sir would you come back on I guess I guess he's gone. Not <laughs> <I can't>. Again, <laughs> would you would you come back on the show? Yeah. All right, good. I was. <laughs> what a way to end the week. Have a good weekend, sir. And uh, we'll catch up with more policy and politics. Stay safe, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You can't make it up, folks. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1.